welcome to the disaster episode of <laughs> where we barely get the show together and absolutely everything goes wrong. I'm joined here today by only Christina Warren. How are you doing, Christina? I, I, I'm, I'm good, Brianna. I, uh, I, and I'm joined by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress. Uh, Simone de Rochefort, a Polygon uh, video editor, is, uh, is not with us because um, Christina Warren, that's me, uh, messed up. <laughs> And uh, and overslept. It's a long story. I don't even know. All I know is that that because of me, we didn't record a show when we should have. So you, you know, get, you, you get be easier on yourself. There were other complications. There were, involved. there were, but I yep. feel bad. So, uh, so at least you guys are getting a show this week. You're, 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 you're gonna. <laughs> at least you're getting a show. Might be the show title. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I have to say, like before we even start the show, were you aware that Simone has a new novel out this week? Are I you was aware not. Of this? so it is Ooh. so porny it is so porny. It i'm so excited so oh my god this is fantastic. so i love so it so i asked my team if i could read an excerpt of it and they go um well can you show us what you're talking about and i showed them a paragraph of simone's novel and they were like oh my god no no don't do it you cannot read that at all so we went through it and we got Frank to just sub out some of the words. So we have that coming up after the show of Frank, me, and Simone reading parts of her novel that are out this week. So stay tuned for that for the after show. Uh, but before we get to it, let's get to our main topic this week, uh, Christina. So Apple had a reasonably, it was like a really low-key Apple event this week, right? Yeah, so they went to a, um, a school in Chicago and um, held an education event. And I mean, the the the, the school looked amazing. Like the, the location yeah. that they had, it was, it was a really cool school, um, you know, old, um, but beautiful architecture. And, and they had like, you know, everybody in the auditorium and gave everyone like a class schedule for the event, you know, kind of like <laughs> it's keeping with the school theme, like, oh, at this time you have, you know, this, and at this time you have this. And it was, uh, uh, yeah, no, but you're right. It was it was relatively low key. And Apple has had these education events before, but um, they this is the first one in a while. And obviously, education is one of the areas where they're really trying to kind of, I think, the the iPad in particular, they're trying to really target that at the education space. I remember going on kind of a a field trip with with them two years ago. Um, around New York City, I visited a number of different um, schools to kind of see how people were using iPads in the classroom. Um, but this was obviously, this was being used as a way to launch um, an updated version of the 9.7-inch iPad. Um, so do you think it's fair to say that Apple is kind of trying to make a comeback in schools? Because when yeah. I was growing up, the old Apple II machines were already out of date. But there's an entire generation of people that played, you know, like King's Quest and, uh, you know, Oregon Trail on the Apple machines. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that's fair to say that they're kind of trying to reconquer that space? Yeah. And I think that there was a period of time. So it's interesting. So you've had obviously like the Apple II era. And I think that a lot of schools like mine, yours um, had them. And then I had I kind of grew up in like a Mac lab. Um, era where there were a lot of Macintoshes and even power PCs um, in, uh, in 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 the you know mid '90s, and then starting I, I would say about '97 is at least in my school district, and, and this could be different in different parts of the country. I noticed that that IBM went hard at education and came in. You yeah. know, at that point, Windows 95 was out, Windows 98 was about to come out, and they just like aggressively targeted. 
um, public schools. And, and so my district, I remember, you know, I used to set up Mac labs when I was a middle school student. And I remember the summer before I started high school, going to a school that the summer before I'd set up all these Macs and I was going in and setting up Windows machines um, because IBM had basically given the school, you know, a good enough deal that I think they still kept some of the Mac labs, but they basically, you know, swapped them out. And yeah, it, it, but it, that's it, high school. And there's a really interesting bifurcation, well, this was also I think. Well, this was, oh, right, right, right. And, and, no, and, I, and my mom worked in elementary school. And yeah, I think you're right. There was in lower education. I think they might have kept the Macs a little bit longer. But my mom worked for an elementary school and I saw that they switched too. I, I was yeah. just saying I was in like, I was about to go to high school, but I would go to like middle schools or other other schools like during the summer and help their tech people set up computer labs. Sure. Well, I was just going to say like what I personally see because with my job right now, obviously I, I go to a lot of schools and uh, you know, for the last few years, I've probably spoken at a hundred different colleges. Right. Right. And Mac labs are very popular in college, especially oh, yeah. in journalism departments. But I think for high schools, partially because we don't really fund high school the way that we should, I think that, you know, it's fair to say Apple has some work to do. So oh, yeah. let's, I, yeah, I, I would, yeah, say, I would say to kind of give context to that, there was a period of time. So what's happened is that most many schools, not all, because certainly there are, there are plenty of schools that don't have the resources for this, but there's been kind of this um, a movement of having one-to-one computers. So each student has a computer that they like take home and, um, and, and they're able to kind of do their work that way. And um, so like, rather than going to a lab, like a, a student gets a laptop or a tablet and, 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 and then they, they use it with them. And early on, I think, you know, Apple actually, because when that sort of thing happened was kind of around the time that the Mac Renaissance was really at its height and, yep. and, and, and Windows Vista was out and netbooks weren't very good. And so you had a lot of school districts who were willing to use the money to buy Macs. And so you saw a lot of that. And then when the iPad came out, because there wasn't anything comparable really at the time, there was huge adoption of people, you know, issuing iPads to students, especially non-high school students. Um, but then Google came out with Chromebooks and Chromebooks yeah. very quickly pivoted from being kind of a low-cost consumer netbook or business thing into being the primary way that Chromebooks are sold at this point is through education. And right. through a combination of, of Chromebooks and, and, and through the G Suite for education, uh, there was a New York Times article, I think this is something like, like 50 million of them are in schools. It, huh. it's, it's a tremendous number. And so you saw that Apple had this lead briefly um, in education with the iPad that utterly went away because of low-cost Windows machines and especially because of, of Chromebooks. So what I see with Chromebooks, because I think you're absolutely right, that's a very popular choice, in part because you can get a you know functional Chromebook for a couple hundred dollars. But what there are two things that really worry me about that as I go to school districts around the country. The first is uh, the privacy argument. You know, right. Chrome Chrome is really set up to. I mean, it's the Google uh, monetization playbook, right? Like they yeah. are there to get ads and money and when you're although, talking yeah, yeah although they I will I will point out that and I made this mistake too I I would worry about that at least the Google for education stuff now obviously you see ads if you're on the internet or whatever but they sure. have policies that they've set up that are they're they're claiming that they are not harvesting student data like that, okay. that's what they say. They actually have things kind of regulated and, and their policies seem similar, I think, to to what uh, Apple's are and, and what Microsoft's are with that. But but I but I'm with okay. you that, that on the surface that would be a concern. But but the Google the G Suite for education stuff, they are not supposed to be harvesting or selling or doing anything with that data. And in fact, okay. I believe that it's that it's, you know, the, the the Gmail experience, all that is ad free. Um 
I think the long-term goal is obviously, you know, get people in the funnel. And if you start out, right, with, exactly. it, 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 if you start using something when you're in third grade, by the time you're in college or making your own buying decisions, you're going to be way more likely to already be invested in the Google ecosystem. I think that is a fair point and, and is something to think about. But in terms of the information they're actually grabbing, they have, and probably because if they didn't do this, they wouldn't be able to sell into schools Google, um, at least until we uh, completely privatize education and, and, and put it out the highest bidder. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. But you know Which what I mean? Like, like, from... like, oh, I know. Yeah. Messi DeVos, you know, ruins everything. You know, oh. I think that they are um, uh, having to be very careful about what data there has. And the only reason I point that out is because I made kind of quips about that on Twitter and I had no, people. Well, I appreciate that. And I had I people who, who came back with, with the, the real insights and I read their policy and I was like, oh, okay, this is actually a lot better than I thought it was. But okay, yeah. uh, but my second objection is the more substantive one. Yeah. Uh, what I see when uh, school districts adopt Chromebooks and there's any kind of coding class involved, what I see is they tend to teach JavaScript, yeah. you know, which is kind of built into Google. And I think um, very correctly, Java is becoming, um, I, I don't think from a computer science perspective, it's a great first language to learn on because it's not particularly robust, you know, and I don't think it's uh, is. I think all things being equal, you'd want to teach students uh, skills they could get jobs with coming out of, you know, like if they really sit down and decide to master that. And it's not to say there aren't any Java jobs. It's just if you go over on Apple and the iPad tools for learning Swift, uh, you know, Swift, I think, is a lot more relevant language in 2018 to ask a child to, like, invest time in. So that that's my really big objection yeah. to put in Chromebooks. No, and I can see that. I mean, there are some things like obviously there, there's an app called Hopscotch. There's a there's a platform called Hopscotch, which is really good, mm-hmm. which teaches mm-hmm. you know kids to code, yeah. and that's yeah. on the iPad. But I believe that they have it in the web browser too. And then there's Scratch from MIT, which is similar in some ways to Hopscotch, which is also really good. But I think yeah. you're right. I mean, I think that there are ways you can do it. But I think that all those objections aside, the main reason you know people that I that I've talked to, and I'm sure you've heard all of this running for office, is sure. that it all comes down to money. And so if you yeah. have If you have a school district with a relative amount of money, they might be more convinced to spend money and get iPads if that's more appropriate. Um, But a lot of schools are completely sold on what's the bottom line. And, and, you know, um, Google and, and, uh, disclosure, my employer, you know, Microsoft, uh, or at least if not Microsoft directly, then, then, um, you know, um, OEMs who are selling Microsoft, uh, devices running, you know, windows, um, are making big plays on price and they always have. And that's always been where Apple's been, been hurt. But I think sure. now it's becoming especially apparent because even this new iPad, which was obviously the news, you know, it's, it's coming in, it's going to be $300 if you are a school, or student, um, who knows? They might offer better bulk discounts. I I, I don't want to yeah. presume, but, 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 but well, I don't know. I'm just saying they're they're claiming that it'll be three hundred dollars for education, three thirty for everyone else, and then you save a little bit of money, like ten dollars. It supports the Apple Pencil now, ten dollars for the hundred dollar <laughs> Apple Pencil. <laughs> And then, and Which then it, students will lose every oh, four seconds. Absolutely. Those things are so breakable. I was I've say, broken too. I, I yeah. haven't broken one, but I I lost I mean I found it, but like I lost it. I was like <laughs> I was like if I were a student, I would lose this like crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, $150 for the keyboard they recommend. And so you're talking oh. about, you know, $550 if you were to get it fully loaded. And once you put that in perspective, I'm gonna be honest, I mean, you can get a really, really nice like Windows laptop. Um, yeah. for that amount of money and do a lot more with it. Uh, I know some people are going to criticize me for saying that, but I think that when it comes to having a really robust solution for, a, for at least for some students, that, that might be 
you know, better. And at the very least, most schools aren't even going to be saying, well, we're going to spend $550. They're saying, no, we're, we're, we're spending $250 or we're spending $300 all in. So Apple's being a little bit disingenuous when they're saying, you know, we're more affordable and we're more powerful than other things at our price point. And in a raw specs thing, that, that could be true. But A, that's not how schools buy things. And B, yeah. you know, that, that $300 price point doesn't include a keyboard. And unless you're selling solely to elementary school students, um, you need a keyboard. Like you, it, it, it's, it's a, it, you can't If you're do, asking students to code, you absolutely well, have to have but, a keyboard. But I'm not yeah. even talking about coding. I'm talking about like, if you want them to write papers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like definitely. If, if you're, if you're asking them to write papers and essays and submit things over email, you cannot expect them to do it on a virtual keyboard. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I, th- a lot of the kind of commentary around the event was, that Apple is is you know obviously talking oh we're we're cheaper but it's really a joke because you still uh, they're still so much more expensive than um than than Chromebooks and and I don't think it matters if it's as powerful as an iPad Pro um it, it uses the A10 um uh, chip so it's it's basically the equivalent of, of of um you know like like an iPhone you know eight or so and um you know it, that that's fine and and it's it's a uh, looks like a very ca- capable machine. It doesn't have 4K video recording and it doesn't have um, the, the smart <laughs> keyboard adapter um, like the iPad Pro does. And it doesn't, it has the, you know, the older screen technology that has like the air gap. But, you know, it, it seems like it's a very good iPad. I just, for, it's interesting that they're positioning this in education. And to me, it's like, okay, I, 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 I hope this isn't, you know, being too critical, but like it almost feels like there's this class divide between like places that can afford Apple stuff and then the rest of the country. And so I want to return to that point in one second. Sure. I do just want to back up for a second and give our listeners an overview of the event. So as as you said, Christina, most of the event was about this new iPad that's coming out, $300 for, you know, uh, schools, $329 for the rest of us, pencil still $99 for us and $89 for school. The other sort of big story that came out is uh, Logitech is coming out with the pencil alternative. Yeah. It's called Crayon. Um, I'm not really sold on it. It's got a very thick um, tip on it. It really looks more like it's for elementary school. Yeah, it does. Uh, but it's $50. Know, it's $50. And, you know, when the... when. Uh, it, like one of the really big selling points that uh, Apple is trying to do at this event was dissecting frogs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that, you're really going to need the precision of the Apple pencil. But returning back to your main point here, Christina, about the the divide, I was reasonably frustrated at the, the blowback I got on Twitter for critiquing this uh, price point. Now, I kind of want to tell you where I'm coming from. There was a really big story here in Massachusetts that uh, came out, and I'm just I'm trying to remember these figures off the top of my head, so forgive me if they're a little off. But um, in a very rich uh, school district here in Boston, uh, the average amount uh, that the school spent on students with supplies was about $200. And then in a poorer district, one of the ones I'm running in, the average amount of money that they were able to spend on school supplies was about a dollar fifty. Oh my god! For the school district, and that was a school that was fifty percent white and fifty percent people of color. So that is a really, really, really big divide. And I think if you're you're asking yourself, like, let's just really be honest here. If you go out to like in Boston, the schools are fine. 
They're doing fine. They have plenty of money. But if you go to the outskirts of Massachusetts, a lot of places out there still don't freaking have broadband. Right. So if you're asking a school district to spend $300 on an iPad, more realistically, $450 with the hopes of like giving those kids a better education, I think it's just a pipe dream. And the irony is those are the kids that need exposure to technology the most. And the last I'll say on this, Christina, because I want to know if this was your experience too growing up. The only reason I do Rocket today and the only reason I had a career in tech was because my parents were rich enough to buy me a computer in the 90s. I went to a very poor school district. My college didn't even have uh, modern computer science classes. When I got to college in 1996, they were still teaching COBOL as the main language there, wow. a language that came out in 1959. Our school district could only afford Turbo Pascal in our computer lab, which was a language from 1983, if I co- recall correctly. And we lost our computer science teacher because we couldn't pay him a living wage. So, I mean, was that your experience also growing up in the South? It was not. Um, okay. We, yeah. uh, but, you know, I, I I had a computer at home and, and um, right. I kind of grew up in the era where there was a certain period of time where you know people had computers at home and then the internet came when I was like in middle school and, and, yeah. and, and elementary and middle school, but like the became really big. And, and yeah. that kind of became kind of the differentiator. Do you have, you know, the web at home, um, some blood right. online services, but that was kind of maybe the thing, but no, I was very fortunately, very lucky that I lived in, in a, in a, a wealthy school district that had computers. I mean, I, there's a photo of me when I was um, six years old, cutting the ribbon at our writing to read lab, um, at my elementary school, because we got you know all these computers that were targeted just at for, at um, you know uh, kindergarten and first grade, uh, focused on and on helping kids uh, write and 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 read. And you know I remember my some of my elementary school teachers having you know, Macs in the classroom. Some of them had Apple IIs, or a lot of them had Apple IIs, but then some of them had you know Macs. And that that was when I first used a Mac was was in one of my teachers' classrooms and. Um, we had labs, some of them older, but many of them more modernized in middle school. So I was fortunately very lucky. And, and we had, you know, in high school, we had, uh, we had broadband very early on in, in the school, um, or whatever the equivalent of broadband was. And my second high school where those, they didn't have sports. So, uh, all the sports funding went into, (laughs) went into, went into equipment. We were actually extremely fortunate because we had, iMac DVs and um, you know uh, 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 the the sawtooth you know towers and and um, you know copies of, of Photoshop and um, um, Maya and and, and uh, you know in uh, wow. the 3D Studio you had Max Maya? yeah really? 3D Studio Max and um, oh my God. you know we had we had a very very good um, you know video uh, production labs live labs and then in a lot of the classrooms we had the IBM PCs like my English class my senior year and our classes were long cuz we uh, kind of truncated the semester you know almost everybody's desk had their own computer and it was one of those things where cuz I was always done with my work so quickly I would just like spend almost all of English class on live journal um, so I think but I think this really proves my point I mean look at your school district yeah. you had access to technology you've gone on to have a wildly successful technology career absolutely and I think some of the critique that I got is like you can't expect Apple to like solve the issues of low teacher pay and I absolutely. do think that's fair you know what I see on a policy level can can I just tell you a really quick story sure I was out getting signatures to get on the ballot yesterday 
and this is not critiquing this man, but there was an older gentleman that came up and, you know, he was like, what are your issues? And uh, Apple had had the education event that morning. And I said, I really care about education. And he goes, education, that's great. That's all I need to hear. And he signed it. You know, politicians have been talking about funding education for my whole lifetime. And we don't ever really get into the weeds. Like, what does that mean? How are we going to bring money to poor school districts? Because when you go out into, you know, rural Massachusetts, you know, they don't get uh, property tax from expensive homes and there's not a lot of industry. So there's just not the infrastructure there to actually fund the schools. It's got to come from the state. And I think that's a much harder question. So does that make sense to you? Like to a degree, this yeah. isn't Apple's problem no, to solve. It is, a, right? it's not, no, it's not their problem to solve. And I, I would even argue, I would even be more, um, I guess, in, in, in some ways um, cynical and say, I don't know. Look, how well Apple does in education, ultimately, I don't know if long-term, or at least short-term anyway, it has no impact on their bottom line at yeah. all. Whether they, whether iPads take off in schools or not does not have any impact on their bottom line. Now, obviously, I think that in a perfect world, they would like to maybe use this as a services revenue tool. That's what Google does for sure. You know, Google offsets, you know, they, they might subsidize some of the cost of the hardware, but they're selling these G Suite for Education um, contracts and, and, right. and, and membership subscriptions. And, and Apple is trying to be more competitive there. They're saying that, that iCloud accounts for students will now have 200 gigabytes and have other things, but which is which so is great. Still not very great. Well, it's it's okay. Well, no, two hundred gigabytes. I think is fine. Um, you know, it's, it's better than five, uh, which oh, is definitely. what they were before. Yeah. So yeah. you know, and, and and Google offers a lot more. So they've got to be competitive, and and I think OneDrive does too. So they've got to be offering some of these things. But I, I think that I could be kind of cynical and say, look, Apple Apple's doing this ostensibly because they claim they care, and 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 I have no reason to doubt that. But this isn't something that is ever going to affect their bottom line. Like being the leader in education at this point, I don't think is going to drive the next, you know, uh, you know, hundred billion dollars of, of the company. You could make an argument that the reason you want to have a foothold in schools is because you want kids to grow up knowing how to use your things and and you know feel like they want to be consumers. But I would also say, and I, and I, but I think that's probably more true for Windows and, and for Chrome rather than Apple because Apple is such um, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's actually, it's a, um, not luxury brand, although it is, but it's, um, um, it's such an aspirational brand that I yeah. think whether you have access to iOS stuff in school or not, there are, the culture dictates that people aspire to have the products. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's so whether, you know, one thing doesn't matter, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right in that it's, it, it's not really their job to fix it a, but B it's not really a business, like from a business perspective, it doesn't really matter. Like it's, no, it's I, better, I it's better, it's better yeah. if, I mean, I think it's better for them and they would obviously want things to be better, but it, it doesn't ultimately matter. Like. I, I would say this, though. If, you know, I live here in Dedham, Massachusetts. Uh, Paul Thoreau lives right here with me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if I were sitting on the local school board and they said, uh, we need to get a vote, are we going to spend $450 per student buying uh, this new iPad? I have to be honest and say, I don't think I would vote yeah. for that. No, I agree. I agree. I don't think there's enough value there. 
I mean, it's like, what can you do on iPad? You can do the the dissection experiments. I think that's fine. Uh, one of the reasons 200 gigs seems a little iffy to me is because uh, you can do serious video editing mm-hmm. on an iPad. I think that's a good skill. I think Swift Playgrounds is something that should be in every school in America. Oh, yeah. It's a wonderful it's, it's teaching tool. But at the same time, it's like, can I really recommend that as far as teaching better like programming skills over a Chromebook. I, yeah, I, right. I or, or you know? is it going to be able to do even some of the basic things? Like how well does it work with printers and scanners and how well does yeah. it work with you type know, papers on it? Right. right. And, and, and cause those are a lot of the, the core skills and, and what applications are available and how's the web browser and whatnot. And I think a lot of it is probably fair and probably equal, all things being equal. Um, but, um, you know, there and then there, there's the contention of people who say, well, you should be using, you know, Office. And obviously you can use Office um, on, <laughs> yeah. on, on, um, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on iOS and it works quite well. But, you know, but there's that kind of contingent too. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there are kind of these these questions and, and it would really depend, I think, on, I, I would say this, I would think that if, if a Chromebook and an iPad were equal price, you could maybe, I could maybe be convinced that the argument for an iPad would be better um, looking at total cost of ownership, things like that. But if the Chromebook is, if they're going to say the Chromebook is two fifty and the iPad is four fifty, I mean that's really. It's, I think for a lot of districts, that's not going to be. It's not even going to be a question. They're not even going to be thinking about paying almost double. Like it's just like okay, we're getting the Chromebook, um, and and that's that is what it is. Um, it feels like a continuation of very class based education, you know. And I realize some of that is inevitable, but um, I just I don't think this as it's presented is going to help the kids that need it most. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah, yeah I agree. Ahead. I was going to say, I know in the past, Apple has donated a lot of equipment to a lot of schools and that's really great, especially, you know, schools in need. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and I would hope that maybe they could look at some of those, those poorest districts and give them um, some stuff. But, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that for the you know, nuts and bolts stuff, I don't know if this is going to go far enough. All that being said, I do think it looks like it's a great iPad, and this is certainly something that if you don't need the Pro, which most people don't, I think that it's, you know, if you've got a, an iPad 4, for instance, and you're looking at getting something new, this is probably what you should get for your family or for your personal stuff. Oh, my God, Simone, you you just showed up magically. This is amazing. You made it to our show today. Brianna, where am I? I, I don't know. Where are you? Wait, there's a, there's a note here. There's so, it, I think it's important. It looks important. It's it's a glowing text on a tablet, and it says it says that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace, and that you can enter offer code Rocket at checkout to get ten percent off your first purchase. Bree, where did this tablet come from? I literally just finished watching Requiem on Netflix, which is a horror movie. So I'm scared now, Simone. I'm worried this is like a message from an archangel. Well, no, when I look at the tablet, it it makes me feel calm and it's designed in such a minimalist way. Like it's very clear and simple and the text is easy to read. And I can clearly see that the, the, the message that that's trying to be given to me. So I, in that way, I think we could say that this tablet is a metaphor for Squarespace itself. (laughs) Did that one come together? If you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or a blog, or whatever you want, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. And you don't even, you probably won't even get a a glowing tablet sent to your home. I think this is just me. (gasps) I think I'm the only one. 
oh my God, that is amazing. That is amazing. It is like, it is like Rocket has finally moved closer to God's light for the first time. The only time that it'll happen. The only time. Yes. You know what I think I I need to do with this tablet? I think. I think you need to enter an offer code Rocket to get 10% off at, at checkout. I mean, that's true, but I also, I think I'm going to contact Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support to see if they can help me with it, um, which I would also do if I were building a website and I were confused right. at any point in the process. But because I already built my Squarespace website and it's beautiful, I don't need help with that. I need help with this glowing tablet. This telling, oh, it, it has more messages. It says I could quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and that all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed. So that I could show off my great ideas, just like the maker of this tablet showed off their great idea. Wow. This is incredible. That is amazing. That wow. is amazing. I can't believe you've shown up here from just, just appeared. This is, this is amazing. Yeah. This is wow. I'm, I feel dazed, but I also feel right. Like I'm doing oh. the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you should go uh, get some rest. This ad, it took all of your ability. I am weak now. Yeah. You've got to be, you have to rest your corporeal form. I I, think. I just have one more thing to mention and it's the Squarespace plan start at $12 a month and you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. It's not even like a trial of the wills or anything. Like you don't have to do anything hard, like no impossible physical feats. You just like go to squarespace.com and you like build your website and it's cool and beautiful. And then when you decide to sign up, you use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for rocket. And that's, that's all the tablet says, Bree. So yeah, I feel really drained now and I think I'm going to go lie down again. Okay. Okay. We, we believe in you and thank you for coming by Simone. Thank you for listening. Squarespace. Squarespace. All right, so so the next topic in Rocket this week, you know, Christy, we need to institute something called the Rocket Rule, which is the day after we record, an even bigger story will yes. break because it always happens. So as we recorded uh, Rocket last week, this is when the Facebook story really went nuclear. Uh, Kara uh Kara Swisher had interviews. She had a uh, an interview for Recode with Mark Zuckerberg that was, I swear, I, you, if you read it, you can just imagine her slapping him back and forth. It is brutal. And this week, like, uh, you know, you've seen uh, open testimony in the UK about Cambridge Analytica and the role there. As we were not recording last night, a story was breaking about uh, Peter Thiel and his, uh, uh, how do you pronounce it? Palantir. 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 Pa- Palantir, yep. Palantir. They seem to have uh, been uh, working with Cambridge Analytica. Shocking. Mark Zuckerberg is preparing to testify before Congress. Uh, and I guess the We'll, we'll go through each of these quickly. Uh, the one I want to start with is Facebook is reportedly delaying their support uh, speaker launch in the wake uh, of this. So basically, Facebook doesn't think this is a great time to put a speaker in your home that's listening <laughs> to everything you're saying. So, Christina, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, oh my gosh, this news is insane. Like the story won't go away. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Like when we when we recorded last week, uh, uh, Lori Siegel at CNN had interviewed Mark Zuckerberg and then it seemed like everybody had an interview with him. Like you said, you know, Wired had one, Kara Swisher had a great one because she and Kurt uh, Wagner just grilled the hell out of him. Um, and then all this, uh, you know, congressional stuff, the the um, you know, the, the UK inquiries, this is not going away. And um, it's very clear that even though everything that happened 
uh, was perfectly legal and was perfectly allowed by the terms of service, that this has been blowing up into um, a much bigger deal than I than Facebook, I think, wanted to. And I think it's been made worse by the fact that they were silent for so long. I almost wonder if they'd been more forthcoming earlier if a lot of this fallout would have been better. Because I think what happened is that, especially in, in the government sector, people had more time to ruminate, more people had time to write think pieces, and then the government started yeah. thinking, oh, well, we want to have more conversations about this, and that ends up yeah. making things worse. So, I mean, one of the things I think is really important is, you know, Kara Swisher, her interview with Mark Zuckerberg, here on Rocket, we've congratulated Mark Zuckerberg for becoming a better speaker today than he has been in the past. I think he came off as... Captain Quig on the the bow of his battleship, just completely inept, not knowing what's going on. And Kara's asking him some very pointed questions. Like when you rolled out this API that lets developers get all this data, I critiqued it. Many people critiqued it. It seemed like a very obvious problem that was going to happen. What's going on at Facebook that you just weren't realistic about these problems? And he is utterly utterly unable to answer it mm-hmm. and falls back into just really, um, I would say it's almost dreamlike platitudes. Do yes. you know what I mean? Like he's, he's really drunk. It's like he's a cult almost. Well, it is. About, well, yeah. I, I would say what I think has happened is this is what happens when you have someone who is not a good public speaker, who is not comfortable yep. speaking in public and has had so much media training that literally all he can do is recite talking points when asked any questions of substance and he can't get out of, you know, that, um, that mentality until like, he just can't, like he cannot escape and talk, like have a candid conversation. He literally can only recite the talking points, which then, as you said, comes across like cult-like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if he came forward and said, you know what, we were unrealistic about this. We've got to address this coming forward. That is a straight answer. But what it comes down to is, and I just have to say first, I know so many good people that work at Facebook. So yeah. if you work at Facebook and you're listening to this, I'm, I really want you to know I, I'm aware good people work there. But it really came across to me as someone that's never going to be able to fix the problem because he's not being realistic about what happened there. And I think this leads very well into what Tim Cook said last night. Tim Cook uh, did a series of interviews, and uh, this is all over the media today. He is very pro-government regulation of Facebook. And he says that, you know, all things being equal, I support self-regulation, but I think we're past that with Facebook, a statement that I a thousand percent agree with. Yeah. No, I I, I do too. And uh, I think this just shows that for a long time, we've been really lax on what networks, what social networks and, and other digital networks can do, I think, because they're digital. Oh, who cares? And I think that this also shows that I think for a long time, a lot of people didn't take Facebook seriously. Because yeah. it was a social network and because it was started by a college kid and because of all of its other things and haven't bothered to pay attention to the very real data that it's grabbing and, and what it can do. But it was just utterly ignored because the it wasn't taken seriously as, as a company or as a business or as kind of a data machine. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think, so this is the way I feel like, I'm sorry to get into politics, but like uh, the Republicans have come forward and they've kind of tried to block 
Facebook testifying, bringing them before Congress, and then other things happened this week that seem to be bringing it forward. I know there's a lot of talk about regulating Facebook, something I would absolutely support if I were elected to Congress. That said, I don't think this Congress will ever do it. I just, I absolutely don't. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, and I would need to know what the regulation is based on, right? Like, and and is this going to, I mean, is it, is it around the advertising stuff? Is it around data collection? Like, what is this entailing? And how is this how is this going to work? But I also, you know, you know the political landscape more than I do. I kind of tend to agree. I think that this is a this is a Congress right now that is um, both the both the House and the Senate, frankly, that if you say the word regulation, they bristle and don't want to yeah. have anything. Right. Well, I think the minimum regulation that I would want are the exact same ad rules that get applied to print, media, and radio applied yeah. to online ads. And I know it's going to be a big pain in the butt for Google, but I do think that's something we need to do. Uh, the other kind of regulation I would say is we've got to look at the way Facebook sells its third-party information to yeah. people. Um, now that is a very, very tricky amount of regulation to write. So I don't want to speculate about it on the show, but I would, I would say this, and this is something I've said on rocket before. I think we've got to make companies that have major data breaches, civilly liable I for those agree. data breaches. I, I think that's the only way forward. So when Facebook, uh, creates a situation where Cambridge Analytica can take all of this data, I do think that's something where Facebook users should be able to go have their day in court over that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a bit trickier because, again, oh, like, very yeah. I mean, but again, I think it's, I mean, obviously now the terms of service have changed, but at the time when some of this information was gathered, these were people who were willingly using an app. Now you can question, like, did they really understand or not? But this was, these were people willingly signing up and agreeing to permissions to use a service. Um, and so I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky for me is to say, okay, how far do we go with this in terms of, you know, if people want to volunteer their information, um, I don't necessarily know if, if, if we want to go beyond it. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, you look at some of the policies that, that Europe has around that sort of thing. And I think that maybe not going as far as some of that, but, but getting a little bit closer, I would certainly support. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, and I definitely agree, you know, and I don't think this Facebook thing was in any way a breach, but I do 100% agree with you that um, in, in cases of, of, of data breaches where your information is, 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 is um, you know, sold in the black market or, or whatever, you know, things like Equifax, things like, um, you know, I- any number of those breaches, uh, I, I do agree with you that the company should be held civ- civilly liable. And frankly, in some cases, criminally liable. We, we don't know the exact format by which Facebook like gives their data to people like Cambridge Analytica, but I was thinking about this. I, In my opinion, if I'm giving data to Facebook, that's one thing. I sign the terms of service. I say, okay. I But I do think if Facebook is allowing third parties to work with that data, I don't think they should ever be given an unencrypted copy of all of that information. I think they should have to work from the cloud. Uh, from Facebook servers. Let me give you an example. Um, I can go out right now and I can pay $1,000 to get a database from X county. That also gives me the ability to do a one-off data query. So let's say Christina Warren donates to my campaign and I don't have uh, more information about you. I can do a one-off query and pull that from like the national voter database. Um, but that data always resides on their servers. There's no point where I get a total copy of every voter in the country. And I think that is a system that would be very 
fair for Facebook to initiate there because my relationship is with Facebook. And if they're giving that data to third parties, I think you should be notified every single time. I I would agree with that. Now, now what if the data is, uh, is anonymized? I would have less of an issue with that, but it still uh, gives me a lot of pause. I think with differential privacy, I think that's the only way forward. We can because do obviously, that. I think in most cases, this data is anonymized. The difference is that you're able to target based on, right. on these features. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and micro-targeting this, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But um, I mean, that's the modern ad market. Um, and so I couldn't, you couldn't win an, uh, a race without micro-targeting. Well, you could, well and, you know? and, and honestly, you couldn't run any sort of, of uh, any marketing campaign. Without market yeah. targeting, you know, it, take yeah. politics out of it. it it's, it, you know, if you're wanting to sell anything these days, I mean, and that's that's been both Facebook and Google's, um, you know, selling point is that you can you can target very Facebook, especially as you can target very specific audiences to show them your stuff. Um, so regulating that, I think it's even more difficult. But yeah, no, I think, yeah, I there, there's a lot to compress here, and I definitely think that at this point, um, the you know. Facebook is going to have to answer for a lot of these questions, and and I, I I still stand by the fact that I think that if they had been more forthcoming earlier when all this was hitting the fan, things wouldn't be this bad now because you wouldn't have had as much time for people to ruminate and get angry. Um, you know, this situation could have been diffused a lot, but this is why, yeah, the, the, this is why you don't go radio. This is why you don't go radio silence for for <laughs> a week. You know, when something like this breaks. So the last thing, uh, there was so much news here to cover. The last issue on Facebook I want to talk about before we move on is, uh, you know, it came to light this week that Facebook was collecting metadata on Android users. So they weren't actually listening in on your phone call. But if you were using Facebook on an Android device and you said, sure, you can access my contacts, basically it would record who you called, how long you called them for, if they were an Android user, and collect all this metadata. And I have to say, this metadata is far from innocuous. In oh, fact, I agree. Uh, Obama, when he was doing um, basically warrantless wiretaps of uh, people overseas, that was one of the things he tried to say. Like, oh, this is just, we're just recording who you call and how long you talk to them. That is probably the most important data that you could get from that situation. Or, or, or even so. you send an SMS to someone. You know, I mean, you can build so much information with that. You're absolutely right. I mean, when I looked at that information, yeah. um, what bothered me the most about it was that they're like, oh, well, this was, you know, you can always, you, you don't have to agree to this. But it was it was opt-out, not opt-in, meaning it was, it yep. was enabled by default. And yep. when you look at the pattern of how people would do it, they gave you an option of, of, of yes or not now. And, right. and, you know, which would kind of in, in, in intimates that they would, they would, you know, um, basically ask you later and, and certainly wasn't clear what they're collecting. And I think that is a huge problem. So, I mean, those sorts of dark patterns, that's something that I wouldn't mind seeing regulation against. That if you're going to be collecting that sort, you're going to be asking users for that kind of information, you need to be very explicit about what you're collecting and how it will be used. And you can't just use a, oh, yeah, this is what we want to do, you know, um, nice language. And then not make it easy for users to say, no, I don't want this. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think the bigger issue is I can't consent if someone else is making that choice. And, you know, this is why I really have to push back against the argument that education on tech issues is going to solve this. Because, you know, for I think 99.9% of people being on social media and Facebook is not an option. Right. I can't do my career if I'm not there. So 
you know, when you're talking about educating people, the people that aren't directly making that relationship and that choice with Facebook, we don't have a decision there. So I really have to push back against that argument that just clicking yes on the terms of service like um, just washes away all sin here. Yeah, I think we need to have a bigger conversation about consent to collect digital data and like what they can legally do with that. I think that would be another thing I would be very interested in um, looking at regulation on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One thing before we go on to our our final topic, I do want to kind of talk about the smart speaker that's been delayed for a second because there'd been rumors of this and I'd kind of forgotten about it. But let me just ask, in what universe would anybody actually want a Facebook (laughs) smart speaker? Right. I mean, they've. this is my thought on actually the previous thing, Christina, that uh, Facebook has really pushed in their separate messenger app trying to get you to video call people and audio call through it. And I would imagine that would be the feature they would really push. Like this is an effort to get that iOS data because then you're you're using uh, that setup. And here they can just like I, I can see the ads now, like you're sitting in your kitchen laughing with friends, like over the over the internet, or they hook up like a, a Google um, Hangouts kind of program. <laughs> like, I can absolutely see them wanting to get this data. Yeah, I guess. I guess that would, that would be a selling point, I guess, would be do, using Google, uh, Facebook <laughs> Messenger to, to call people. You're yeah. not wrong about that. Yeah. But I'm just trying to think yeah. in what other case, like... Siri isn't great, but you at least has, you know, hooks into services and Apple Music and whatnot. And you can kind of understand why people might want that. But I'm like... Who wants a Facebook smart speaker? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, because it's not like Facebook has its own music service. And it's not as if I like the video on Facebook so much that I'm like, oh, I want to to watch this. It's like, no, you know, that's that's the last thing I want to do is watch Facebook video. Um, <laughs> like that, that that's not destination stuff. I mean, at least Amazon um has like an ecosystem and Google too, for that matter, have like a, a broad ecosystem of tools and services that seem worthwhile. Whereas Facebook is just like, okay, so now I have my Facebook calendar access. Like who cares? You know, because that's usually just a bunch of events that people have spammed me to go to. And it, it you know, it's very rarely anything that's actually pertinent to my life. Uh yeah, I don't I know. I use that all the time because it tells me all these political events to go to locally. And I'm like, yep, gotta go to that, that, and that. Uh I don't know. If there was a, a feature like push this button, it will read out the Facebook fights between friends as oh, they're happening. No, that would be cool. Okay. I would I'm, be interested in I that. I would be down yes. for that. And they they have like, <laughs> like uh flame war mode. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, flame war mode. Um <laughs> oh. All right. All right, Christina, our final topic tonight. I have to say, we moved through a show pretty quickly yeah, for did. so many news stories. Okay. So I have to ask you, have you ever played a Far Cry before? I have. It's been a while, but I have played. I think Which I, one? Which one? I've played the first one and I played three. Okay. Three was really good. Yeah. So Far Cry 5 came out, uh, it was actually two days ago. Um, this was a, a game that got a lot of press before uh, it actually came out. So Far Cry 1 took place in like a jungle. Far Cry 2 was like you're fighting African warlords. Far Cry 3 is Heart of Darkness on an island where you're the white savior. Far Cry 4 is taking over the uh, drug trade in Sri Lanka. And now Far Cry 5 takes place in America in like a very rural part of America where basically a Christian cult uh, that's obsessed with guns has taken over. And a lot of people uh, from the previews interpreted this to be uh, basically Far Cry taking on uh, 
you know, extremism and white supremacy here in the United States. I mean, you heard all that leading up to Far yes, Cry 5, yes, right, Christina? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Like, and I was really you... intrigued. I yeah. was like, yeah. I was, I, I was actually like, because I love cults. And yeah. I was like, I was like, I would totally play this. Like, yeah. 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 Well, this was a lot of the backlash though. So the game actually came out. And uh, so Ben Kachera over at Polygon gave probably the most famous review of it, uh, which was a 6.5. And he critiques it because it goes after uh, kind of this Christian cult quite a bit. But as far as uh, there's not a single line about white supremacy, there's not a single line about like ideology. And when it comes to an actual storyline, it doesn't really substantially deal with uh, the divide in America. So, um, you know, I've played a lot of this game at this point. Far Cry is by far my favorite first-person shooter series. Uh, You know, I've beaten, I'm probably a third through the game already. And I have to say, I... I read all of these critiques from like Waypoint and Polygon. It really seemed off to me. I mean, because you don't really play a Far Cry game looking for substantial moral commentary on the world. Like it deals with all these things uh, very superficially. So when like uh, Austin Walker at Waypoint is saying like he feels very disappointed because this game doesn't really get substantially into American politics. It's like, this is a over a hundred million dollar game from Ubisoft. Like, do you really expect them to take a risk with the story that right. could potentially alienate half of their audience? Does that make sense to you? No, totally. And I, I would be surprised. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's a big budget game that, although it would be great if you have a big budget game that would make that type of uh, cultural, um, maybe uh, have that sort of commentary I don't think it's realistic to expect a French company, A, to do it, or B, um, any company for that sort of budget to really be willing to kind of take that risk. Well, I also think it would have the risk of, like, Far Cry is such a violent game. I mean, you walk up to people and you'll punch them in the throat and you'll shoot them with a shotgun and blow their heads off. I mean, there is just, like, walking up to cars with grenade launchers and firing it. And just to be really honest with you, I would not feel comfortable with a game that was... I mean, it's in a cartoon universe, so it's it's okay. But if it were, like, a dark, serious story... I think I would be very uncomfortable with the game where I were was explicitly like going after one half the country's political ideology with uh, you know bows and shotguns and you know rocket launchers. That's right. just I think that's you know like this week there was a very hot story at the Atlantic calling for uh, hiring someone that called for one fourth of the of women in the United States to be hung to death. I think that's kind of that on the other on the other. You know, foot. If that makes sense to you, yeah, yeah. Um, I would. So, yeah, no, I think that's that's interesting. So, is, is your take? You think that people are? You think reviewers are expecting too much of this game? I do. I'm a really big Far Cry fan. Uh, I've played every one of these just obsessively. It is by far my favorite series, and I, I think if you look at two, it really is very superficially about. African politics, right? Like you have three warring factions and it doesn't really get into any of the the substantial reasons that strife in Africa exists. And if you look at Far Cry 4, it's not exactly a nuanced take on uh, the worldwide drug trade and why a country like Sri Lanka might feel 
uh, compelled to produce opioids when they're so poor, right? Um, So I think like going into a Far Cry game and expecting like this really serious discussion is just not realistic. I mean, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon was you running around killing blood dragons and killing, like ripping out the cyber hearts of cybernetic you know, soldiers in the 1990s. And it's just not what the series is about. So this game is, it's 100% about taking out a Christian cult, like the Branch Davidian. Uh, and I think it is very interesting though, that Ubisoft is very comfortable making a game where you can have all the iconography of Christianity and all the hymns of Christianity and all the culture of Christianity. And it's absolutely fine to go take out like thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians, Christian extremists, but they're afraid to say something about Republicans. I think that's odd, but, you know, well, right. Well, I mean, I think that the way that they would probably frame it is that they're saying that this is a cult and it might have Judeo-Christian leanings, but it is not Christianity. Um, And 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 whereas if you go after a political ideology, then you're directly attacking those people. And and so I think they're kind of I mean, to some extent, it's moving goalposts. But I think that, you know, when you when you do look at at extremist sects of of, of any religion, um, but but especially Judeo-Christian ones, they they tend to be or but but frankly, you could apply the same thing to to Islam. Right. Like it's there. They don't they often don't represent anything. other than than some lineage, you know, right, to right. to the to the main sex themselves. I, I think I think the the Far Cry is a Ferris wheel, right? It's a roller coaster ride. It's not meant to be serious. So it's it's setting you in a in a world. And frankly, the gameplay upgrades to this game are so good compared to Far Cry Four that um, that's honestly the most important thing here so yeah anyway. and and, and yep. there there uh luca over at uh, hitaku wrote a great blog yesterday about how you can pet the dogs uh <laughs> and uh but you don't want to pet the mean dogs the bad boys because they'll pull by your hands but he said there are they lots of, he said there are lots of good you know maul your face but there are lots of good boys in the game and i'd have to say as someone who is is very appreciative of any ability to to pet video game animals <laughs> i'm there for that I'm, I'm glad that there are good boys in the game that that one can uh one can interact with because uh, that what that is my only disappointment with, with Zelda is is that can't pet the horse, um, you know like that's that's my only thing I I I want to be able to play with the horse, um, but yeah. So the the best character in this game to be your sidekick is the dog Boomer, and something I appreciate appreciate about Boomer is if you don't aim your shotgun really well and you accidentally shoot Boomer as he's like leaping on a cultist, uh, all you have to do to heal him is walk over and pet him, which huh. I think is a very realistic gameplay mechanic. That should tell you everything you need to know about the Far Cry universe. So, I love it. I yeah. love it. Christina, what are you doing this week? What um, are you up to? Well, I'm, I'm a, actually hosting an event in uh, Seattle tonight, uh, kind of a community open house at um, um, kind of our event space. So anybody who's actually listening to the podcast, you don't need to be a Microsoft-centric developer or not, but if you have a community, meetup group, hackers, you know, want, want to do a hackathon, whatever, hit me up because we've actually got a space that we want the community to, to use. And so we're- Oh my doing, gosh. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's uh, you know, people can take advantage of. And so we're doing an open house for that tonight, and that'll be really fun. Um, planning some stuff for some upcoming uh, conferences. And um, I'm geeking out and also feeling very, very old because Entertainment Weekly put out a 20th anniversary uh, cover uh, of Dawson's Creek. They reunited the cast. Oh. And 
I feel very old, but I also am so excited. And I bought like they they're selling five different covers or some crap, and I bought them. I I like placed an <laughs> order like a for, I spent thirty dollars, and they're going to be coming to my house. And I have like the digital copy like on my iPad, but I'm like, yep, I'm I'm doing this. That's fine. That's, I'm not going to judge you for that. I think it's a great idea. No, so, I, uh, and yeah. and it, but I was just shocked that they got everybody together again, and and uh, I was like, it's funny because Michelle Williams on her cover, she does it with Busy Phillips, and I'm like, I bet she only agreed to this because Busy Phillips, she wants to get busy. A, 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 a magazine <laughs> cover. Busy's her best yeah. friend, and she wants to get her magazine cover. Because otherwise, like, why would a two-time Academy Award uh, nominee? Uh, re- I don't know. But although, yeah. she, although, yeah. remarkably, what's great about this is that no one seems embarrassed or, or, or like for a period of time, nobody associated with the show really wanted to talk about it. But it didn't last that long, and all of them, despite how big some of them have become, like Katie Holmes and Michelle Williams, especially. Uh, seem like embarrassed or like opposed to like talking about it, (laughs) which is so rare because most of the time people are like, oh no, do not ask me about my TV show that made me famous because I'm beyond that. And like most, they're all like, yeah, it was great. It's good to see everyone. You're like, okay, cool. So with, with Homeland ending, I want to see a My So-Called Life reunion. I I want to see that. I really want to see that. Make it happen. No, I 1000% agree with you. I, uh, I would love to see that, uh, to see Jordan Catalano and, 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 uh, um, Angela Chase, uh, reunited, but also I want to see Brian Krakow and I want to see, um, um, uh, Ricky and, and Rayanne. Um, yeah. yeah. And Sharon, of course, like, I, yeah, oh. no, I'm, I, I, that was such a good show. Oh my God. Uh, I, I was, I, I was in show. sixth grade when it came out and, and I, I, it was, it was so good. I, I didn't, it got really good reviews on TV, I remember, or like in TV Guide and stuff. And I watched it a little bit, but it wasn't until MTV started playing the reruns its first season. And I was like, oh, oh. my God, this is the best show. And then it was canceled. Oh and um, I have a story I'll share for another time, but I helped back uh, getting it on DVD in 2002. Did you? I did. You were part of that? I was oh part of that. I had, dude, I had, the, I had the lunchbox. <laughs> there was this whole story. If you paid a certain amount of money, you're supposed to get yes. a lunchbox. And then this this yes. company behind it, it, it was basically a scammer. And this guy who went on to work for Shout uh, TV tracked the people down, like tracked down the warehouse where this guy that had like all his money had been like um, basically like uh, I, I guess he was he was some sort of fraudster or whatever. And, and there was like a lean on stuff. But he tracked down the warehouse and got the lunchboxes and sent them out to people, which was the most amazing bit of fan service. So it was one of those things where I paid ended up being double what it cost in stores to get on DVD. And it took me well over <laughs> a year and a half to get my damn lunchbox, but I got my damn lunchbox and, and I will always be like thankful for that. But yeah, I, I have a, my so-called life lunchbox. So I'm I down. You, I, I'm when with I come you. to your house in Seattle sometime, yes. if that People, goes missing, it wasn't me. Um, it wasn't me. Just I will be checking you. you so. so yeah, there's no way. Like, like it's actually funny when you walk into the house, we have kind of like a pop culture wall of a kind of sh- a thing. And the lunchbox <laughs> is like right there. Oh my God, that's awesome! That's awesome. Uh, what, what about am I you? Doing this what are you up to? Uh, we are working our butts off to get on the ballot here in Massachusetts, uh, and it's honestly it is such a long slog up that I'm doing fundraising this week to hire more people to work on that team. So, uh, what I would really appreciate any Rocket listener if you could do is go to supportbrianna.com. You know, even fifty, one hundred dollars that uh, adds up to a live signature. So we would deeply uh, appreciate that. Um, and of course, Simone this week she has her book coming out. I don't want to give spoilers, but I want to say there's a lot of human on demon events that happen in that book. So you can uh, interpret that with your own imagination. 
<laughs> awesome. Okay. So uh, where can people find you, Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters, the Instagrams, et cetera. And you can find the videos that I do at work at um, youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Okay. Two seconds. Yes. I, yeah, we talked about this at the end of last week's episode. I subscribe to you on there on the Microsoft channel because like YouTube app is the number one thing I watch on my Apple TV. This is some really high quality stuff. Yay. And what, what I really love about it is Microsoft is, you're such a big company that it's harder to follow than Apple, if that makes sense totally. to you, because you're doing well, we have so, so many, many different things. business groups. Absolutely. And this is hyper informative as a developer. And like, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God, I want to go send my resume to that group. Oh my God, I want to go send my resume to that group. Oh my God, if I were still making games, I would want to work with that technology. It is really high quality stuff you're putting out. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're trying and we have amazing people and that's kind of what we're trying to do. So if you guys ever, listeners, if you have questions or or content you want to know more about, like hit me up, let me know, because I agree. I think that like, there's so much good stuff that isn't serviced and and we're trying to let people know, hey, we have this because we are A, telling a bunch of different stories, but B, like there's a lot of really good technical content that I think is easy to follow and, and also really informative um, out there that we're we're putting out every week. Yeah, like there was one on uh, machine learning and NLP and just really doing it up from a base perspective. Like, here's the math involved in this. Just just really, really interesting stuff. Uh, anyway, you can see me at uh, Space Cat Gal on Twitter, or you can go to supportbriana.com, and you can see Simone on uh, the Twitter machine at Doom Quasar. So this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. Are you recording this? Yeah, I'm recording. You got to speak into the mics. Oh, yeah. so we're recording, actually. We are. Oh, yeah. Recording. We're super oh recording. This is how we Rock- do it on Rocket. It's always I was cold. just thinking that would be really terrible if we made fun of, like, Christina not being here and it turned out something <laughs> really tragic happened to her. She's fine. <laughs> She's fine. She's fine. Uh, you know what else is fine, Simone? What? What? Well, I I am so excited because <gasps> my favorite porny author, Daria DeFore, <laughs> put out a new, a new, a new book today. And <laughs> I am uh, you know, I I really like this this particular excerpt from the book. Oh no. Deal with the demon. That's like the number one rule of things you're not supposed to do with demons right before you have sex with them. <gasps> and <laughs> that is if that is not the perfect opening for, for Daria DeFore, I don't know what it is. Thank you. <laughs> As a Daria is a spokesperson, yes. I, I can say that uh, <laughs> she appreciates your interpretation of, of that line. So speaking of interpretation, we have a very special guest uh, on Rocket here today. My Hi, husband- I'm Christina Warren. No, you're not. <laughs> Okay, so so uh, as as Daria DeFore's spokesperson, uh, Simone, we were going yes. to uh, I was going to do a, a reading of your, your of Daria's new book today, the erotic parts of it, uh, and my campaign was like, no, you absolutely cannot read that on film, you absolutely can't. But then we figured out a way to do it. So okay. uh, I'm just going to skip over some of the words, and Frank is going to put in some uh, new Euphemisms. words for it. Oh, and, my God. Okay. Are you ready? Is your body ready for this? I am so ready for this. Okay. Then he saw Tom with his lean body 
and his bored, haughty expressions. He hadn't been making those faces when he touched his intergalactic battleship. (laughs) Instead, his mouth had hung open helplessly and his brows squeezed close together. All of his concentration focused on one thing. His phalanx of fleet destroyers. (laughs) (laughs) Simon wondered what it felt like to To fire his ground assault cannon. (laughs) Did it prickle? Like the house wiring? Was it warm? Like the inside of the stove or a boiler? Tom's barrel of his giant laser tank looked smooth. (laughs) Like the inside of a mirror that Simon had pressed himself, but also slippery. Houses weren't supposed to be slippery. Simon wanted to feel that. So that is my dramatic interpretation of the new Daria DeFore book, which I'm very excited about. This is giving me a lot of ideas. I think I've been I've been going the wrong direction by directly describing what the anatomy is. Okay. And that I need to introduce a little more whimsy and abstract sort of science fiction. I'm loving it. And so I'm my Frank, it. thank you. Hey, no problem. That's what I do. 